Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Lunch Therapy. I'm your host, unlicensed lunch therapist, Adam Roberts. Before we get started, I just want to say I'm thankful to all of you for listening to the podcast this year, and I wish you all a very, very, very happy Thanksgiving. I hope it's a great one. My patient today is a special Thanksgiving episode patient because he's family, and this holiday is all about family. He's my husband, director Craig Johnson, who's directed four feature films, including True Adolescence, The Skeleton Twins with Bill Hader and Kristen Wiig, Wilson with Woody Harrelson and Laura Dern, and Alex Strangelove, which you can watch on Netflix. And in today's episode, Craig talks all about not getting sugar cereal growing up. So on my birthday, I'd be allowed to get like a box of Fruit Loops or a box of Tricks. Dealing with food in grad school. There's something so depressing about about being in my lonely little kitchen in my kind of cruddy Brooklyn apartment and cooking things. And why he doesn't make the decisions about what we eat. Because when it comes to food, I am submissive to Adam Roberts. All right, without further ado, here is my lunch therapy session with Craig Johnson. All right, well, here I am with my husband, director Craig Johnson. Craig, welcome to Lunch Therapy. Thank you. I'm happy to be here at last. Well, you were here at the beginning as my co-host, and then I fired you. That's right. Yeah. Um, I didn't really fire you, but I decided to do shorter introductions. But the first, you know, like 10 or 20 episodes has you... Uh, chatting with me, and then you know we got rid of you. So how know. how has it been since your lunch therapy? I've been days? licking my wounds ever since my <laughs> firing, but I with some therapy I pulled through. But I've had your sister on, and you recently yeah. listened to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you learn things about your sister that you didn't already know? Um, you know, she just she, I thought she was very articulate and upfront, and mm-hmm. um, can't say I learned anything new, but but. I was very proud of her. I thought she did great. How does your family feel about, um, you know, just pe- like people sharing personal stuff about their lives? I mean, do you think that your parents, uh, I mean, I know that they listen to that, but do you think they were sensitive to it or you don't think it bothers them? No, I think they're open for it. I mean, you know, we're probably all, anyone who comes on here is conscious that this is going out into the public. Yeah, so they're all gonna four be, people are going to listen to this. <laughs> More than four people listen to this. Yeah, I'm actually doing really, I have like 3,000 listens a week now. Wow, Pretty that's good. impressive. Um, well, it's funny because like I feel like this that's a good leaping off point because your work and your, you know, stuff as a writer and director is also very personal. And I'm curious, you know, for our listeners who don't know, because I know everything about you, how have you negotiated those questions of writing very personal things and how they will uh, impact the people who they're about, if they're about anybody. Well, I mean, a line I often use for some of the movies that I've made that are personal is that they are personal, but not autobiographical. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I can't even point to, any one particular character in any of my movies and say this is based off this one person. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them are sort of composites of different people in my life for sure. Uh, so in that sense, and th- a lot of the themes that I return to, I guess, are personal themes. But um, no, nothing I've done, is, the closest th- that is like quote unquote autobiographical is maybe Alex Strangelove, this mm-hmm. high school movie I did. Yeah. But even that is like a sort of, you know, high school teen comedy version of, um, you know, a coming out story. Well, the film that you perhaps are best known for is The Skeleton Twins, which premiered at Sundance. And um, I'm curious, like, where can you tell our audience, who I'm sure there's lots of fans of it, the genesis of that movie and where that came from? Sure, yeah. I mean, that one, so I was went to grad school for filmmaking at NYU, and... Um, I really connected uh, with this guy, Mark Heyman, um, who was my classmate and became a really good friend. And we thought we would be uh, work well together as co-writers. So we were, um, we had like a, what do you call it? Independent study mm-hmm. class one year, our third year, and said, let's write a screenplay. So we started throwing out ideas that we thought, kind of stories from our own life. And actually Mark, um, talked about at his high school, he went to a high school um, where a t- student-teacher relationship went down um, that was sort of complicated uh, in that, well, I mean, a student-teacher relationship is not 
legally complicated or technically right. complicated. Uh, teachers shouldn't be sleeping with their students, right. obviously. But because of the students had just a complicated feeling, it was a really beloved teacher. Um, and so we thought, huh, let's tell a story about a complicated student-teacher relationship. We kind of were inspired by the movies at the time, like The Squid and the Whale and um, Me and You and Everyone We Know. And so we thought that kind of tone, that bittersweet, funny, but kind of grounded in reality tone was something that we could do. And eventually that turned into the Skeleton Twins, which has now a sort of a backstory of a student-teacher relationship. But as we were writing the script, we realized we gave kind of this lead character um, a sister Mm -hmm. who sort of interfered with the relationship. And the movie became about that relationship between the brother and the sister. And that became the movie. But in terms of, of, of putting your personal stuff in there, I mean, do you think it just naturally infuses itself or do you think about real people in your life? I mean, you, you have a sister. So like, were, yeah. did, did you think about your relationship with your sister? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that one of the things my sister and I have always shared is sort of a macabre sense of humor and a gallows sense mm-hmm. of humor and a real dry sense of humor, especially my sister. She has this, the driest wit of mm-hmm. anyone I've ever met. Um, and, you know, and I think you, my sister has been open about, you know, some struggles with mental health and depression. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, one of the things that's always fascinated with me is how funny my sister is despite her struggles. Mm-hmm. And so the skeleton twins really does deal with depression. The mm-hmm. two characters I would say are depressed, but yet they are very, very funny people. I mean, they're played by Bill Hader and Kristen Wiig. Mm-hmm. So, um, that sort of like, mixture of the funny and the dark uh, is pulled from sort of, I think, me and my sister a little bit. Well, I'm curious to flip it around. You know, you we were just talking about you writing about other people potentially and exposing their secrets, but you've been the subject of my food blog for the past, let's say, well, we've been together almost 16 years. And so how has it felt to be on the other side of that when I write about you or talk about you or reference you in my work? Oh, I love it. I mean, it's it, it, it. You're not digging deep into like any of my psychology or secrets, and I'm a pretty open book anyway. But like, uh, I mean, if I get recognized on the street, it'll be, "Hey, are you Craig from Adam's Blog?" <laughs> like, that's what I'm noticed for, or at least was back when you had your blog going. Yeah. And well, now I have my newsletter going, which is even better than a blog. I think I was a little bit of a foil for you or like a counterweight for you. Mm-hmm. And you're a little sort of, you had a bit of a sunny gym persona and I would kind of come in sometimes with a barbed comment or, right. uh, you know, would, would be a little bit of a salty to your sweet, mm-hmm. you know? And then some people accused me of, some of your listeners accused me of being surly. I know you were sensitive to that. I know. I, I know I was. Um, well, it's funny because I'm not you, really surly. We just have, you know, a good. We have a bantery relationship. We have a back and forth. That if you're not privy to it, it might yeah. sound like I'm needling you or being mean to you. Yeah, no, it's you it's can all, take it. Trust me, listeners, you can take it. Playful. Um, well, that's funny because yeah, I mean, it's it's like to put yourself out there in the way that I do. It's like I mean, I I got so many comments over the years just about everything, like my punctuation, the way that I made a pie crust. I mean, those don't feel very personal, but it's just like you open yourself up to let people weigh in. Um, and so, but you're, you're very good about like not reading the comments or getting too caught up in all of that stuff. Yeah, I don't, I don't read comments. I mean, that's just opening yourself up to a world of, of anxiety and frustration and Mm -hmm. literally like, you know, who, who, who are these people? It's the peanut gallery. And like, they're the ones listening right now. Well, don't ruin our day with your (laughs) nasty comments. (laughs) Well, it's actually interesting for people I'm sure who don't know. Maybe for you to talk about critics and how you handle criticism of your films, because I've been with you at almost every premiere. Actually, I have been with you at the premiere of every one of your movies. He's done four movies, True Adolescence, Skeleton Twins, um, Wilson with Woody Harrelson and Laura Dern, and then Alex Strangelove, which was on Netflix. Um, And so how do you handle it when the reviews come out? Well, it's been a process for me, um, and uh, I've, I learned probably around the Skeleton Twins, I learned that, well, first of all, to never read the reviews, because you premiere your movie, and literally the reviews will come out like an hour or two after, usually when you're at your big celebratory party. Mm-hmm. So like if you start you know, hearing the feedback and it's maybe not great, that can ruin your day and ruin the party and just spoil the whole experience. So I have, I have a system. I have a pretty specific system right now, which is... Um, 
um, premiere the movie and I don't want to hear anything about reviews for at least 24 hours or maybe even longer. And then after I've celebrated and kind of calmed down and have a little moment to catch my breath, I will, you know, fire up Rotten Tomatoes or I'll, I'll, and I'll just take a quick look and I give myself a time limit. That is key. I give myself 15 minutes and I can then do it. I can react however I react in that 15 minutes. I can read the shitty reviews and scream and yell and say, you didn't get the movie and who the hell are you? And you try to make a movie and see how hard it is. And then I'll read the good reviews and feel good about myself and I'll just go back and forth. But of course you just focus on the bad reviews. But then at the end of 15 minutes, done. Right. Not reading any more reviews, not returning to the reviews I've already read, moving on. And do you go back later when, you know, time has passed and you're alone at your computer and just kind of killing time? Do you ever go back and look at those reviews? No. You I never re- do? No, no. I mean, I maybe can't say never, right. but it feels masochistic. Yeah, like, it is a little masochistic. It's not like, like I go on Amazon and read the reviews of my cookbook every day. It's yeah. like once you read them, you kind of get. Oh, and the mean things sear themselves into your memory. Right. Like I could quote word for word the meanest sentence from every mean review uh, of every one of my movies. And the crazy thing is I wrote them. I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, this is a great moment to ask the question that kicks off every podcast, and I hope you're ready for it. What did you have for lunch today? Well, I had brunch today. Uh-huh. Uh, today, oh, God, I didn't even prepare for this. I, I, we had a scram. I had brunch with you and you made it <laughs> which is be the psychologically um <laughs> maybe questionable whether a psychologist a lunch therapist should be cooking the lunch for well their we patient. can we can dig into that because it was very um it wasn't unique to my typical saturday where you typically will make a brunch it was a scramble uh-huh. um eggs uh comte cheese is uh-huh. how you say it uh-huh. swiss chards onions uh-huh. um and then some seeded rye toast and you could pile the eggs up onto the toast and sort of eat it like that because you didn't provide any jam. I said, where's the jam? And you said, I think you should pile your scramble on the toast. Well, because I saw the toast is a good vehicle for the um, the eggs. And also I squirted the toast with olive oil. I was going to mm-hmm. rub it with garlic too, but then I thought maybe he'll want jam. Well, that's a good place to start. So why do you think you didn't independently go up to the refrigerator and get your own jam? Because when it comes to food, I am submissive to Adam Roberts. I have learned not to question the suggested uh, dining, uh, you know, routine or strategy or, you know. So, oh, yeah, you told me not to put the jam on and I'm not putting on jam. That's really funny. Well, I mean, do you think that's always been that way or you think you over the years learned to submit to my will? I think it might be part of the reason we're still married because I actually don't have super strong opinions about food. Mm -hmm. I'll say in general, like I am a very, I'm not a picky eater. Um, I'm pretty easygoing when it comes to eating. Mm -hmm. You are not easygoing when it comes to eating. Mm -hmm. You have very very strong opinions about it and you love to plan the meals Mm -hmm. you do plan the meals and i am very much will take a back seat and kind of eat what's placed before me and i will really enjoy it now let me just say out of the gate i acknowledge my privilege i acknowledge that i am because all anyone ever says to me is oh my god you won the lottery marrying adam you are so lucky you have all this delicious food made for you all the time and i agree with them that is very very true I'm very, very oh, well. Thank you lucky for saying that, but don't butter up to your therapist because that's not going to help. Okay. Um, well, it's interesting because I don't think I could date you or have been in a relationship with you if you didn't care in terms of like not enjoying the food or like being ambivalent to, or and indifferent to food because you actually do really enjoy food and you have I certain things I really that do. like if I make an apple pie. Or, you know, crab cakes your dad makes on, you know, in Washington State. It's like... I like your grilled cheese sandwich with the... Onions. uh, Yeah, with the onions and the mustard. Yeah, that's actually Nancy Silverton's recipe. If you're listening, Google that. It's great. Um, But yeah, you... you, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons we clicked right away was because when I cooked, like, you really, really appreciated it. And I think that that made me want to cook more. In fact, like, when I think... I'm not, again, to make this about my psychology, but part of the reason my mother didn't cook growing up um, or in my childhood was because when she first cooked for my dad, when they first got married, he was overly critical of her cooking and didn't praise her. And so I think that that is why she stopped. But for you, it's like I got a lot of positive reinforcement. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it was all sincerely delivered. I'll yeah. never forget um, one of our first dates where you said you wanted to cook for me yeah. at your apartment in New York. And it was maybe even the second date because we went out the first date. Yeah. But the second date you made, let me see if I get it right, deviled chicken thighs with braised leeks. Yeah, from Suzanne Goins' uh, Sunday Suppers at Luke. And I remember when I came over, I immediately walked right in the kitchen and was like, how could I help? Like <laughs> I, in my head, we were making the dinner together and it didn't, I mean, immediately you were like, get out <laughs> with a voice, with a voice of, yeah, it sounded. Well, it's funny to like to hear these stories about how controlling I am about food because you are a director and you're used to being in control in almost every situation. But I think part of the reason we also get along is that I give you some, like I push back and there's tension in terms of like not letting you control everything. Which, if you had your way, you'd be in charge of everything, I think. Well, it depends. It depends. I have the things that I like to be in charge of. Like, right. as you know, selecting what we watch mm -hmm. uh, in the evening, I tend to take the driver's seat on that. Oh, yeah. Um, you like to know, like, 10 hours ahead what we're going to be watching at night. It's true. Well, you like to know. My joke about you is I have a funny running joke about all your autobiographies autobiography titles yes. <laughs> and one of them is thinking about dinner at breakfast uh -huh. um, or is it thinking about breakfast at dinner I'm not but sure both of them work but both, both of them, them work true, for yeah. you yeah yeah I was thinking about tonight's dinner because we're going to a party tonight and it's all the way in Alta Adams and I was thinking like well the party starts at eight and we have to drive over there and how what are we going to eat and the party supposedly has a taco truck but what if there's a long line like I, th I literally was thinking about that this morning while I was making breakfast and I uh, love to be unburdened by any of those thoughts <laughs> like I know you have got it covered well the crazy thing about you which, and it's true of your family I think and they actually I, well we could talk about that part later but um is that you can go for like a whole day and barely eat or like you could just forget to eat which that idea, the very concept of forgetting to eat is so anathema to me that it almost as if like you're an alien. I know, it's true. Food for me functioned as fuel, I would say, until I met you. I mean, I would, again, I liked food. I liked yeah. a good meal. Um, but it, my day would not be revolved around like lunch and dinner. It would yeah. be like, I'd be doing my own thing and then be like, oh shit, it's 3 p.m. I haven't really eaten much. <laughs> I should like, I'm hungry, I'm starving. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I, I know your parents very well and you know, I've eaten many, many, many a meal at your parents' house and your dad in particular is really an, a gourmet cook. You know, he makes the apple pie in your family, he makes the roast beef at Christmas. And so why do you think, I mean, I guess, where do you get that quality from of being able to like, you know, thinking of food as fuel? Is that really from your mom's side of the family or you think, is that also from your dad? Um, that is a good question. I don't think it's either my mom or my dad. I think it was just, uh, food was a little utilitarian mm -hmm. for us growing up. And my mom did the cooking when we were growing up because my dad was working. I think she, she didn't love it. I would mm -hmm. think that's fair to say, but she didn't, it, you know, she did it. She right. cooked for three kids every night. And, you know, my parents both have Midwestern roots. And so, and it was the eighties uh, and nineties. So like, you know, feeding three kids, it's casseroles. It's like a lot of kind of goop in a pan, right. whether it's a noodle Which casserole. You, love. you always ask for I like, goop in a pan. I like goop in a pan. Yeah. yeah, I think my sister kind of talked about that too. Specifically my mom's lasagna and my mom's enchiladas. Mm -hmm which is basically like cheese in a pan. Uh -huh. <laughs> those were, those are comfort foods to me. And, and you we're love growing cheese. Up. Cheese is very high on your list. I get that from my mom. My mom oh, really? is a cheese fiend. So am I. I yeah. But I, I've learned, like, I mean, to bring it back to today's lunch or brunch, I've learned that if I'm ever making you scrambled eggs, they better have cheese in them or you're going to complain. This is very true. Yeah. This is very, very true. Cheese just has, it just is a, it is a strong flavor, yeah. you know? Um, I, I don't know if this is a related, I don't have a strong sense of smell, so uh -huh. I'm really attracted to bold flavors. I think it's more of a texture thing for you, though. You also like the goo. You always talk about goo with mm, food. You're I like, do. You're like, if I serve you pasta, and you're like, you didn't put enough goo yeah, on Yeah, I like that. kind of saucy flavorful, because that's where all the flavor is. The flavor is in the goo. But one of the things you talk a lot about, um, you have, you've asked me to recreate it, but I haven't done it yet, is your mom's enchiladas. Yeah. And that seems to be the most nostalgic dish for you from your childhood. It is. It is, because it's very, you know, it's a very, it technically, 
technically like a Tex-Mex style, but that's even giving it a lot of credit. Mm -hmm. It's rolled up flour tortillas with jack cheese and tomato sauce and some (laughs) onions, you know? Right. That's basically what it is. There's chili powder. There's like tomato paste. But like, that's pretty much what it is. Mm -hmm. And it's just comforty and good. It's like big bubbly cheese and tortillas. So we were talking earlier, I mean, we got digressed, but um, about being able to go through the day and forgetting to eat. So where does, if you never met me though, I mean, do you think food would at all be important to you? I mean, do you think you eventually would have gotten interested in like going to nice restaurants or, you know, having home cooked meals for you? I mean, would that I mean, I think so. I think that, that around the time that we, you know, got together, which was 15 years ago. Oh my God. Um, you know, food culture kind of took off around the same time mm-hmm. and like dining and yeah, that's you, true, especially for, for younger people. So I don't know, maybe I would have gravitated to it. Um, you know, fine dining though, to me, uh, you remember like when you would take me out to these super fine dining places, I always felt a little uncomfortable. Yeah, they Some were of them felt a little formal and fusty to me and right. I just didn't feel relaxed to me in, uh, atmosphere is almost the most important. Like I would rather go to a restaurant with totally decent food and great atmosphere than a restaurant with delicious food, but not great atmosphere that made me uncomfortable. Well, that's why your favorite restaurant in LA is Blair's. Yes, it is. Yeah. Which is just a cozy little spot. So cozy and warm and feels like it's a great date spot, but it's also great. I call it. Who are you taking there? Well, when you like to know. Yeah. Uh, but it's a cozy, Tuesday night, you know, and they have everything that's pretty good. You can get a delicious burger. You can mm-hmm. get the trout is always one of my faves. Um, pastas. It's Well, it's funny when you talked about those like fancy meals I took you to at the beginning because I think I kind of imposed that on you. I remember for like the first birthday that we celebrated together of yours. Might have been your 30th birthday. Would that have made sense? No, you were already 30. No, I think I just turned 30. But I remember I surprised you by taking you to Per Se in the Time Warner Center. And I remember like... I, I, we were riding up the escalator and I was like, can you guess what it is? Can you guess what it is? And we finally got to the top. And I was like, you're going to per se. And it was as if I said, you're going to blah, 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 blah. Like it <laughs> didn't mean anything to you. I didn't know <laughs> what per se was. Yeah. It just wasn't on my radar. And it was, at the, for those who don't know, it was at the time Thomas Keller, the chef at the French Laundry, opened Per Se in New York, and it was a really big deal. And at the time, I think I was still like learning about that kind of food, and I, I don't think I'd had a lot of those experiences before. So for me, it was more like an educational thing rather than like, oh, I want to sit in the splendor. Do you remember what happened at the end of that meal with the, with the wine? The oh, I made a joke about like Boone's Farm. Like- at the beginning, she was like, what kind of wine do you like? And you said... Like Boone's Farm wine, which was like a trashy kind of... Some you guys out there will know what like Boone's Farm is like. Like, like and high games. school kids would drink it at parties in the eighties and nineties. And then at the very end of the meal, when the dessert came, she came to you and she poured you Boone's Farm. Remember? It, yeah, <laughs> I think, or it was a wine called Boone's, but it was related. And that I was very impressed by yeah. that they kind of like picked up on our conversation and improvised something in it you know they made this little fun joke at the end well what do you think over these years of like me cooking so much and dragging you to these restaurants like what do you think you've learned about food i mean do you think there's stuff you've learned well my joke is if you get hit by a submarine and i'm on my own i'll be able to cook i've picked up and you just gave me a look i don't know when i said that never ever ever i know because you're still around to do it so i don't have motivation you don't cook ever right well i'm just saying if i was forced to (laughs) right i have learned enough by osmosis i think like it's the basics it's the whole what is it salt fat acid heat that's thing. the mean that's not me well but 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 those are the building blocks right. of cooking right mm-hmm. and I've, I've i've when i've seen you cook it's like you fire up a pan nice and hot you throw some oil on there you put some salt in you put no, in the you don't put salt in the pan whatever you add salt at some point and then and then you throw in some lemon juice and you just add all those components and cook it and then you've got your salt fat acid heat and you have a delicious meal i can do it well so if i get stabbed to death tomorrow and you finally after grieving for several months and you know crying your eyes out um what dish would you make first for yourself i would try the kava topping sun-dried tomatoes so that's a dish that if you don't know, if you don't follow 
my Instagram or newsletter, amateurgourmet.substack.com. Um, I make this dish called cavatappi with sun-dried tomatoes and cannellini beans, which I learned from Lydia Bastianich's show. And I've literally been making that for you for clear, almost our entire relationship. And it's basically like garlic, um, sun-dried tomatoes. In the sun You kind of cook it in the sun-dried tomato oil with some olive oil. And then you boil cavatappi, which is sort of a corkscrew pasta, and then you use the pasta water to make the sauce, and you pour in cannellini beans, and at the end, you put the pasta in the pan with the sauce, and you stir it all together, and you add a ton of Parmesan and a little olive oil and some more chili flakes, and it's so good. It's really good. So you think you could do that? Is it, dare I say, unctuous? <laughs> uh, did that... we get into this whole conversation recently about the word unctuous and whether it's bad or not? So I don't think it's bad. I think not it bad. Means... I mean, like, in, like, pejorative. I don't think so. Okay. So what? So that's the main thing you learned is how to like the cooking side of it, but like anything else. Like well, just the, the, just I'm aware there are these components, and I know I was I was being a little glib about like I wasn't giving you the order in which right. you make things, but I do think that I'd have to have a recipe in front of me. But I know kind of the bigger picture. What about traveling? Like what? Okay, so I kick the bucket, and mm-hmm. ten years from now, you finally meet somebody who's not quite as good as me, but. You know, you meet my replacement. Second choice, yeah. And that person's not into food at all. Like, they're just not into it. It's just not their thing. They're an athlete. They're, they're very focused on Ooh. tennis. And, Wait, who is this person? I don't know. But <gasps> then you're planning a trip to Paris. And Tom he's like, Daly, the diver? Yeah. Oh, he's married to... Yeah. No, but, okay, you're planning a trip to Paris, and this guy's like, I don't care about food. I just want to go to McDonald's. Like, what would you say? I don't think I'd marry that. Got well, it. I'm just saying, like, if just uh, if that's a situation, like, what, would you say, well, I I remember this restaurant I went to. Like, yes, I would absolutely say we are not going to McDonald's in Paris. No, I mean that's an extreme example, though. <laughs> <laughs> I I think if I married someone who was less of a food person than you, I might, yeah, we, there might not be the kind of like restaurant. But we even been I feel like we don't even go out to restaurants like the same. In the same way as we used to. Well, because, because of the, of the pandemic. pandemic. Yeah. 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 I guess what I'm trying to get at, and this is kind of maybe this something I don't know, which is like when food is important to you. Let me put it like this. Let me yeah. put it like this. If you were gone, uh, I think meals, home cooked meals would be important to me still. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't be able to go back and yeah. I would probably try to find somebody mm-hmm. who enjoyed cooking uh, or if I couldn't, then I, I might cook more myself. I think I might. I, I really love home-cooked meals. And you had that in your life even before you met me because yeah. you grew up with that. And I should say, like, you know, once all the kids kind of got older, my dad yeah. took the reins from my mom as the cook in the house because he really likes it. He yeah. really likes to do it. And I think my mom was thrilled to not you know, be burdened anymore. And your sister likes to cook too. She does. Yeah, she does. She likes to cook and she likes to bake. Yeah, but you independently don't No, I don't. interest. No, not, no, not right. really. So when you think about... Um, oh, I but, gonna, but, but I can't separate it from how spoiled I am with you. But you're also spoiled by your parents who cooked home-cooked meals for you all the time too. Yeah, sure. So it was something you were, you were kind of looking for. But I was going to ask, like, there was the period that I'm aware of where you lived in New York, you were going to NYU film school... And you had a roommate, but how did you deal with food during that period? I mean, food was fuel. I I, I rarely cooked. I would grab a sandwich maybe. I I lived in like a no man's land in Brooklyn. And Mm so I literally, even to find a place to grab a bite, I'd have to take the train a stop. But I would. I would take the train. I'd use an excuse to go into like Park Slope. Uh I lived near Park Slope. Go to get a a sandwich shop, get a sandwich, you know, hang out in Park Slope for a little while. But did you and, ever? So you never. And then dinners. No, I, I, I like it's a blur what I would even do for dinner. I think I would meet friends. I would, I, I'd have dinner out. That's not and okay. So it's not like I would never. Uh, let's see, canned soup. Really? And sandwiches. I would grill up some sandwiches and have some like a soup and sandwich mm-hmm. at night. Yep. I wouldn't buy like frozen pizzas or anything. I didn't have frozen dinners. Like I really didn't eat at home by myself. There's something so depressing about about being in my lonely little kitchen in my kind of cruddy Brooklyn apartment and cooking for myself. Well, it's funny because like, I'm trying to think now I'm trying to go back to your lunch today and like really try to think about what it reveals about you. But it, I, guess, I guess another thing I'm hearing when you talk about being spoiled and stuff is that and I know this about you, but wanting to be mothered uh, because I feel like when you 
basically told me because I said to Craig this morning, I was like, you should order lunch for yourself or like you should go on caviar and like pick a lunch for us. And we'll eat. And you said, no, I want you to cook for me because that's what you normally would do. And I think there is something that we've talked a lot about in our relationship, but like that you like to be mothered, but you also like your independence. And I wonder how that plays mm. out for you in the food arena. Hmm. Well, that's very true. Yeah. I think both those that's that's a sort of con, you know, conflict in my psychology. Yeah. I I think I do like sort of the the creature comforts uh, that you provide, but I'm pretty yeah independent minded. So, what was the question? How does that play out well, in food? Yeah, how does it play out? I mean, what does it reveal about your psychology that you? crave independence but at the but when the, the, when lunch came today and you had the opportunity for independence you you decided to submit to when uh, it comes to food right. i am submissive right i am like i'll do whatever i really don't have that side of me it all falls away but even in terms of just being mothered i mean i say mothered but it's sort of nurtured or taken care of i think you have a funny dichotomy because it's like it doesn't just have to be about food. It could be about like being sick or being, you know, like when you're sick, like you really like me to like, you know, tend to you and like, you know, and, but there are other times where like, I'll say, did you do blah, blah, blah. You'll be like, I'm getting to that. Like, leave me alone, you know? Mm. And, and I think, oh, I got very triggered just when you gave that example. Well, very interestingly, the example you just gave sounded a little bit like you were nagging. Me. I know which you, which you think of as mothering too. Mm-hmm. But I think you, I mean, there's a certain, well, I mean, I think traveling together is a good example of our two natures and how this pl- plays out. Because I think my instinct when I travel is to plan everything and to want to know exactly where we're going. And you kind of resist that throughout the day and would much rather have independence and just have the freedom to just go wherever. And we've learned that if I plan the dinner, then we'll just do the day by the seat of our pants. That's but, right. That took yeah. a while to get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we had to figure that out. I think another thing... Well, this is getting off food, maybe about traveling. That's okay. Well, is that you are more comfortable to having sort of planned and, and hitting not like the tourist spots, but like very specific, like this museum. And mm-hmm. I think you are a little bit more comfortable being a tourist. Right. I would love nothing more than if I had friends who were, let's say, Italian, lived in a small village, just going and spending a week with them because they're enmeshed in the culture. Right. And for me, and, that's too chaotic. Like, I want to know where I'm going. I want to I have my independence in the sense of like being able to just go down that street or I, I kind yeah. of, and you kind of want to submit yourself to people who know what they're doing in a way. Yeah. I love to feel integrated with the culture and to feel kind of part of it. So mm-hmm. like, yeah, if I'm going to Italy, give me a call me by your name experience, like mm-hmm. embed me with an Italian family yeah. in Cinque Terre or somewhere for a month. And well, that, you, that sounds like heaven. Well, it makes me think a little bit about your job because when you're on set and you're a director, it's like you have to be, in, you want to be in control. You want to show everybody that you know what you're doing, but you also have to like seed control to the actors, to whatever might happen. And so it feels like those are the two. Actually, that's very, very true. I think the best directors have a vision and are specific about what they want and know what they want, but they are nimble and flexible yeah. and open to new ideas. So, you know, being a mixture of sort of uh, open but decisive yeah. is what makes a good director. And it's interesting because it's like you have your arenas, I think, where you do like to be in control. And in our lives, I think there's no arena more that you like to be in control about than design and decor and like the... the vi- I thought you were going to say music. And music. But I think that, and that's, those are two very directorial things, which is like the way things look mm-hmm. and the way, and the music that's playing underneath it. Cause those are things that you experience in a movie. This is why our sweet spot in life. Yeah. You know what I'm going to say? Yes. Is hosting dinner parties. Hosting dinner parties. Yeah. It is you and I both at our best. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll have friends over. We do a lot of dinner parties. You'll be cooking all day. Yeah. Um, the friends will come over. I will have cleaned up the apartment, tidied it, lit the candles, selected the music for the evening. I'll make a drink. That That is something I took to during the pandemic mm-hmm. was mixing drinks and learned how to make a whole bunch of really good ones. And so the guests will arrive and I will sort of hold court while you, uh, you'll kind of pop in and out. You'll bring out a cheese plate and mm-hmm. we just did one last night. And then you'll, you'll go back to the cooking, but I will kind of be there and entertain the guests and keep the records going and, you know, mix a drink and 
I love, 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 love that. And then you'll summon us all to the table and you'll present the food and mm-hmm. everyone freaks out because the food is delicious. Oh, thank you. Yeah, well, I, it's just like a highlight of our of my life and our lives, I think, are these dinner parties. Well, it might be an interesting corollary to our conversation about control and seating control to talk about the drink making and how that kind of entered the equation. Because for a very long time, um, Craig would say he felt vestigial at the dinner parties. <laughs> That's that he right. didn't anything to the table literally and then you started making cocktails but maybe you can talk about like what led you to do that and and how you found it when you started well i mean it. i always liked the i i got i was into making drinks a little bit before the pandemic and right. you know especially like good classic cocktails like mm-hmm. the sidecar you yeah. know or the bee's knees i i loved all of those um but because i was just home i took to 5 p.m cocktail hour home during the lockdown mm-hmm. and you know we have all these great cocktail books and i would just flip them open and and we'd order some booze in and get yeah. weird like ingredients and uh i don't know i just i just liked it it was and you mastered me- a specific cocktail do you want to tell everybody what that is yes it's called a oaxaca night mm-hmm. is it from sasha petrosky yeah book? sasha petrosky's book it is mezcal and tequila uh-huh. honey syrup fresh lime juice uh angostura bitters Am I leaving anything out? No, that's it. All shaken up. Yeah. Um, in a cocktail glass, nice and cold. Oh, it's so good. Now, when I interview my food guests on here, like cookbook authors, chefs, we talk a little bit about the two sides of cooking, which is some people are more, you know, rule oriented and they want to, those tend to be bakers who are like, you do one cup of flour, one stick of butter, two, half a cup of sugar, and you always get the same results. And the other half of cooks tend to be more savory cooks who like add a pinch of this and add a pinch of that and they taste and they go. I, I'm somewhere in the middle actually where I really like baking, but I also really love like making a soup and not knowing. So when you make these cocktails, I mean, sometimes I feel like it's almost like a math problem for you because you're really trying to figure out how many ounces. But do you think if you were a cook, you'd be more of like the scientific baker type? I or? think you learn the rules so you can break them. So uh-huh. like once I get really comfortable, like I'm really comfortable with the basics of like a Manhattan, right? Yeah. And then there's so many riffs you can do on a Manhattan. Like, ooh, let's add a little bit of Cointreau mm-hmm. to this. Let's, you know, do less vermouth, but more whatever, you know? Yeah. So I'm getting more and more comfortable kind of like riffing off of the baseline. And drinks. if you were on uh, Top Chef Mixology... Is that a thing? No, I'm just saying if they did that, uh, what drink would you make? Um, well, probably the Oaxaca night. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, well, so is there, are there other areas of, about food? I'm trying to think, like, what are the food things that you don't like? I'm trying, you have so many strong opinions about things. So now <laughs> you I'm should not, be able to identify these that you don't like. Yeah. Well, what do I complain about? You complain about pasta without any sauce on it. Like you don't love like pasta with just like cheese and no, I need, I need a little brightness and tanginess. And I guess if you have a real real lemony, I like it. Okay. But that's not it. I don't like anything that is leaning towards too mealy or mushy. So I'm not a fan of, I'm not a big fan of squash. Uh I'm not a big fan of sweet potatoes. Actually. You hate Uh, rice pudding. Yeah. There's something about the texture. That it's I so can't weird. get it's into. so good. And I don't like things that are too sweet. I'm not a big dessert guy. Yeah. I'm not a big cake person. And yet you ate all this cake that I just made, this bunt cake from Cheryl Day's new book, Three Citrus Bunt. Well, we contain multitudes. Yeah. That well, one had a tanginess. I like the lemony part of it. A lemony cake, I'm into. Well, now pie is a huge category for you because, yeah. I mean, if there's one thing that you love more than anything, it's apple pie. Yeah. So when did that love begin? That was just rooted in childhood. And my dad would bake p- apple pies that were you, delicious. Even when you were a kid, like before he when got I was into a cooking? Kid. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe around the time he started to get into cooking. We had a next door neighbor named Marge Smith. Okay. I've <laughs> she never like heard a, of her. She's like a little old lady that lived next door, and we would always go to her house, usually for a meal around Christmas time or a meal in the summer. Uh-huh. And she made her famous chicken. She had like a baked chicken she did, and she would always make an apple pie. And her apple pie was just incredible. So I think my love started with Marge Smith's apple pie. And I think my dad's original recipes was Marge Smith's oh, recipe. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And it's on my blog. Um, your dad's version of apple pie. Yeah. But what are there certain qualities of an apple pie that you look for? Like if you're at a restaurant or you're at somebody else's house? I like house? a lot of cinnamon and a lot of nutmeg and a lot of that kind of the gooiness of it. Ooh, there's that goo again. I like, I like goo. That's interesting because I, 
once took a class, a psychology class in law school by this woman, Martha Duncan, who wrote a book called Beloved Prisons and Romantic Outlaws. And it was sort of about repeat criminal offenders who kept doing crimes so they could go back to prison. And one of her um, subjects was goo, like this like how it's like a primal thing when you're a kid to like play with goo and like, you know, kids today like will actually make goo. There's oh yeah, there's, yeah. Like, slime making tutorials. But is that anything I, to do with why you like goo in your food? Well, I'll tell you this. I was like, went through a phase when I was a kid. I think a lot of little kids, little boys go through this phase, usually maybe around 10 or 11, mm -hmm. you know, kind of right before adolescence or puberty, you just get into like the body. So like guts and blood yeah. and snot and poop and pee, you know, this yeah. kind of, but that's not what you like to eat. No, obviously, <laughs> but we're talking about goo. And for me around that time, I got into horror movies. Okay. I was really into like gore. I was really fascinated by gore. Right. Uh -huh. And I used to buy a magazine called Fangoria magazine, sure. which had just had photographs of all the gory scenes from like tr like 80s gorehound movies yeah and i got really into horror movies for a while to a point where my parents pulled were like had to sit me down i remember and they asked me like or made sure that i knew the difference between make-believe and reality and i wanted to get a subscription to fangoria magazine and i wanted to get a subscription to that and mad magazine and my parents said mad magazine okay but no not <laughs> fangoria if you want fangoria you're gonna have to get on your bike and ride to the drugstore and get it yourself and I think that was good parenting because this is off food topic, <laughs> yeah. but I think it was good parenting because they didn't forbid it outright. Right. They said, this is not, so they showed their disapproval. This is not going to come to our house in the mail, but if you want it, you can make the effort to it and spend your own money and get it. That is an aside, and I don't know what that says about me. Well, no, but I'm actually, it actually But my goo, I come by my goo fetish, honestly. Um, well, it's interesting because it's making me think a lot about a, a, a dichotomy or a dynamic that comes up a lot it even came up this morning because you were reading your old middle school journals maybe that's why i was thinking about this because reading about the horror oh, movies but I we were talking watch. about your wholesomeness versus like your worldliness and I, it makes me think about like the apple pie that you know we're talking about which is literally the most wholesome thing it's straight out of like huckleberry finn um versus like you know the foods that you eat now it was funny because your mom's friend sandy commented recently because we went to this place all day baby and we had like queso fundido and we had all this stuff and she's like wow craig is so adventurous now i remember when he was a kid he was such a picky eater and you kind of got offended because you i don't i didn't know what she was talking about i was <laughs> never a picky eater i just wasn't i think sandy is misre misremembering something well hopefully she's not listening to this but well you, if you are sandy let's talk this through but i guess my point is like in terms of adventurousness do you remember like leaving your home because I mean your family you just you talked about your mom making lasagna making enchiladas apple pie but like was there a moment in your life where you like left Bellingham where you grew up and started being more adventurous with what you ate um I didn't have a lot of opportunity growing up to be adventurous it was all pretty much you know uh home-cooked midwestern food and then fast food honestly or like red robin that was a big you know, that's where we'd hang out in high school after the school plays. We'd go to Red Robin and get burgers. And, and sidebar, fast food burger-wise, tell everyone what you said the other day when you had an In-N-Out burger after going to a movie. Did I say it was, like, better than any sex I'd ever had? Yeah, gee, yeah. thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I was starving. Uh -huh. Starving, starving, starving. Came back from a movie and swung by In-N-Out burger for a double-double animal style. But I'm trying to think, like, early in our relationship, if I dragged hey, I'll say this. I'll say this. I remember being introduced to sushi yeah. in my early 20s by Got my it. friends in Seattle uh -huh. and having my mind blown. I mean, sushi in my head was like, raw fish, right. ew. But then they were great. They kind of sat me down, gave me some good gateway sushi, and really kind of said, no, 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 you're going to like it. Here's how you do it. Here's the rich. And now it's and your favorite. I, it's my absolute favorite food, actually, is yeah. sushi. Yeah. Yeah, That's to this funny. day. Well, I'm trying to think of like some of the places we've gone over the years. I mean, I, my experiences with food, I mean, well, you were with me when we went to Paris, and we went to a, a, a pop-up restaurant where the chef was from Estonia. And they served a dish of like tripe and calamari all mixed together. Yeah. And I left the table because I think I had food poisoning from something else. But you were a good sport about that. Well, about you leaving or about eating <laughs> that dish? Well, I left to go throw up. Like, I, I literally like <laughs> yeah, wandered out food into the streets of Paris and I was like stumbling But it, I, I don't think it was. It was maybe triggered psychologically by that dish, but yeah. I don't think it was that dish. Because I had that dish and I was not sick. Right. But do you get squeamish or do you get... Uh, tripe. I'm not crazy about. Yeah. I don't like the idea. I don't like it. Mm -hmm. I will say I've tried it in a number of dishes and 
no, not for me. So in terms of being a director and food and like not caring about it, but have you directed any scenes that have to do with food? Um, uh, I don't know. I don't know that any, nothing, I'm trying to think. Well, oh, you have that one with, um... I've done a lot of dinner, like dinner scenes, but it's always about the family dynamics at the table. There, nothing that's been focused really on the food. What about Alex say. Strangelove when he eats all those gummy worms? Oh, I suppose that's right. Yeah. There's a kid who licks a psychotropic frog and trips out and becomes obsessed with eating gummy worms. Uh-huh. That's probably, and then pukes them all up. Yeah. Oh, That's probably goo. my there and literally sprays a bunch of gummy poop puke and goo on a bunch of kids at a wow, party. Wow, I think you need a more advanced lunch therapist than me to deal with these my goo goo, fetish? goo issues. Well, let's yeah. But why do you think? But see, like the obsession with goo is just like the obsession with the body. I think it's like mm-hmm. it's like making peace with. Like, well, that's why I was relating it to the horror movie thing and blood and guts, right? Which but, I was also into. But 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 to me, does that equate to like wanting more? tomato sauce on your pasta like is that really connected or is that completely separate well i just think the pasta the, the it's more flavorful with the right. pasta sauce but i guess i'm saying the word goo for you when you talk about it in terms of food you're not thinking of well snot. i know i no, i'm not but <laughs> i know that like when we get a dish and we split it like i will give myself more of the ladles of right. goop you like, like the stuff on it yeah and i notice sometimes when you finish you won't eat all the goo <laughs> on your plate and sometimes i'll ladle it onto my plate yeah you know i was thinking of like the the green enchiladas uh that we get from bar ama, bar ama. Yeah. i noticed the other day when you got them you didn't really eat all the goo yeah and I, that's, I love that goo. Well, it's actually funny. I think I'm much more carb. I feel like all the flavors in it. I think I'm very carb centric. Like I think carbs are my favorite thing, whether it's pasta, pizza, bagels, cookies, cake. Like I, but, and, and for me, like I could just eat like a plain, you know, every, well not plain bagel, but like a simple bagel and get pleasure out of it. Or like eat like a pizza with barely anything on it and just enjoy the carb part of it. But I think you're the total opposite where you like what's on it. I, that's absolutely right. The yeah. sauces, the cheese, yeah. the really flavorful goo. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because that's a word. Well, I think that's, that's why we're maybe complimentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are the other arenas where we fight the most about food? I'm trying to think. I mean, I think a big thing for us is like how much I care about food and like sometimes when it comes up, like tonight's going to be a great example because I mean, we're not there yet, but usually I end every podcast by asking, what are you going to have for dinner tonight? And so I'll ask you that now. I mean, you have no idea what you're having for dinner tonight, do you? No, no idea. <laughs> <laughs> why, is that, a, why is that so funny to you? Because well, like, okay, if you were in somebody else's podcast and they were like, what are you having for dinner tonight? What would you say? I would, well, I would probably say, uh, well, Adam's cooking something. Adam's cooking this no or Adam's, Adam's figured out. Adam's, we're going to this restaurant that Adam wants to go to. Well, no, because we're going to a party tonight. So, all right, so literally tonight we're going to a party. We're going yeah. to a birthday party, uh, and I didn't even know there was a taco truck there. Yeah. I'm learning this from you here on this right. podcast. Yeah. Well, why don't we'll have the tacos? Yeah, I don't want to. Okay, but that's weird. Why? Because I, I don't know. I think like going to a party and then having to like eat tacos in front of people. It just sounds messy. It sounds complicated. But it's not complicated at all. You stand in the line, you get the taco, you eat it. See, it's funny, like, this This is more of my issue, but I, when I, if I'm going out at night, like, the idea of, like, going to a party where, like, you eat the food at the party as your food is not as appealing. I've never understood that. Appealing to me as, I've like, never going out that. to dinner first and then just going to the party and mingling and focus. I think it's, for me, it's, like, it's, like, the reason I have trouble, like, going to our friend's poker game that he throws because it's, like, either I'm playing poker or I'm socializing, but, like it's either one or the other it's like at a big party i think also i have more social anxiety than you do you, well yeah that's that's part of it yeah well, how does that play this is totally turning into your lunch therapy i'm realizing well i think my lunch therapy is is, is relevant to your lunch therapy because these issues are going to play out in terms of how our night's going to go tonight. well why can't we let's say what what if i say right now i'd like to just have the tacos at emily's party then I would say right now, too bad, we're going to go out to dinner first. No, I'm just kidding. I don't think we're going to go out to dinner first. I think we will just have... Dinner. I think that would might be a waste of money if there's tacos available right. for the at the party. Well, And time. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it speaks to this other element that came up earlier, but it's like that you could just graze. Like you could... I mean, I remember you were shooting a show recently. I, think, I don't know if you want to talk about what show it was, but um, you were on set here in LA and when you came home I was like what did you eat because like it was after dinner you're like oh I don't know like I just ate stuff on set but like you couldn't even remember like what you ate and it's like 
That happens a lot on set, actually. You'll so, graze from whatever they have it, you know, so what do you catering eat? or craft okay, like, like Thinking back on the last day you were on set when you ate a bunch of stuff, like what specifically did well, you Well, they eat? have catering set up. Okay. So, so you can kind of, you go through the catering and you just, yeah, they have all kinds of, it's like a big, there's a bunch of choices. There's a fish choice and a meat choice and there's salads. And so it's like, the, I don't, it's actual like hot yeah, food. Yeah, it's an actual hot food. It's right. a meal. It's, it's not an like actual Skittles meal. and. Um, well, there's that too. That's craft services. So you sometimes you can there. just occasionally i i will snack more on a set than anywhere else uh-huh. i'm not a big snacker because it's available at craft service and it's just crap usually it's just like candy and well one other thing just came up actually in this conversation about the taco truck which is something we haven't talked about yet which is a huge thing for us which is your frugality and not liking to waste food oh i get that from my parents who get it from their parents yeah because i mean even when you said tonight like if we went out to dinner that'd be wasteful it'd be a waste of money mm-hmm. but like even like when we got i mean this is a funny example to me which is that we, i bought a bunch of halloween candy as one does and we had about like three trick-or-treaters so that we had like a gigantic bowl of halloween candy and i knew that if i didn't throw that out we were going to eat all of it and craig was like that's so wasteful don't throw that out so, of course, over the past two weeks, we ate all the Halloween candy. And that is, I can guarantee you that it would have been better for us, maybe not the and, environment. And I should say, we don't eat candy. Like, no. We never buy candy. But that is something it. you could throw away but or give away. I think that this is all true. But candy is a pretty easy, like, all right, if you have candy sitting around, you're going to eat it. It's, it's enticing. I think what's more interesting is, like leftovers mm-hmm. like i don't like it when you'd see what what do i say when you're like i'm gonna clean out the closet clean out the fridge you say i don't know what did he say I, I say i say well don't throw out all the food like right. like let's let's have it for leftovers or let's right. have it for meals like i there's something psychological about wasting food mm-hmm. that is just ingrained in me from my childhood that you just don't do it you and to this day my parents you know like lunch for them is almost always something left over mm-hmm. that they'll heat up or maybe they'll put together a sandwich you know at home and are you was it also like you had to finish your plate at dinner when you were a kid like did you have to oh yeah and do you think that that's the clean plate club and do you think that still applies today to how you eat food do you think you always have to finish what's on your plate well we're all adults so it's literally not like i don't think anyone's really monitoring you but i think there's this expectation you're not going to take more than you'll eat yeah oh really oh yeah that's funny well you always like you kind of monitor my cooking be like that's way too much like you know that's or like you'll why did you buy so much? Why did you make so much? I think sometimes you do make too much. And I think your argument would be that better to have too much than too little. Oh, yeah. Well, do you but remember, it's almost always too much. Well, not true. Because remember, we once had a latke party and you, and I was making 300 latkes. And you were like, there's no way that all these gay men who are coming to this party are ever going to eat that many latkes. And not only did they eat them. Spoiler alert. Gay men love latkes. Yeah, they were fighting over them. I, mean, I was like pulling them out of the oven. It was like pandemonium and not everybody got a latke but i oh yeah i I, and it's actually very funny in terms of like us being complimentary because my parents were it was all about abundance it was like it was just about going out to dinner and ordering a bunch of food and 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 wait and no they barely ate their leftovers it was just sort of like just i mean i remember my mom because she didn't grow up wealthy at all but she talked about this uncle she had uncle manny and he took and he had money and he took my mom and her brother out to a Chinese restaurant and he ordered like everything on the menu and the table was covered with food and like how exciting that was. And I think it, it is funny, like your family is much more, you know, um, what's it, what is it like almost like Protestant? Is that what you call it? Or like, yeah, Catholic, not Catholic, but I, like uh, it, it's Protestant, right? So yeah, but it's less a religious thing than it is just sort of their products. You know, my grandparents are products of like the Depression. Right. And so and my parents grew up in the 50s mm-hmm. and it was just, you know, food was scarce and it was expensive and it was, you know, kind of a luxury. So <laughs> like, what was a special occasion meal for you growing up? Um... Going out to a restaurant yeah. uh, of any kind, you know, um, I would usually choose to go to like like a Red Robin type restaurant. Uh-huh. There's this restaurant called Lee's that I loved going to. That was like a diner. Um, I, what, what's funny is it was more treats that were special occasions growing up for me. 
sugar cereal was not allowed. Mm -hmm. Like Hostess cupcakes. Oh my God, that is just crap. Don't put that into your system. Total opposite of my childhood. I had Apple Jacks, Lucky Charms, and I had, we had literally ate a, like a yodel or a ring ding right. every day after school. So on my birthday, <laughs> I'd be allowed to get like a box of Fruit Loops yeah. or a box of <laughs> Tricks. And I'd be allowed a big, just colorful sugared cereal box on my birthday. That, and if we ever went camping, we were allowed to get the little mini boxes oh, yeah. of cereal. That, and those were total treats. Also, on my birthday, I could get Hostess cupcakes, which I was not basically permitted to get any other time. And on your birthday. Until I got a little bit older, and then I'd like have like allowance money, and I'd go buy, you know. Cupcakes. I was gonna say that, but your mom would sometimes make you a cake, and she didn't famous. Didn't she famously make you a Jabba the Hut cake once for your birthday? It's really impressive. Yeah. I gotta hand it to my mom. She did. She had molded because it was three D. It wasn't just like a picture of Jabba. Uh -huh. It was like a sculpted Jabba cake <laughs> that really looked like him, uh -huh. <laughs> actually. And um, I've we I have a picture of it. I know this is an audio podcast but and she decorated it with all my little action figures from star wars and i i it was the coolest cake i'd ever seen well this is making me think of a treat that you love that we often fight about in fact every time you get this treat we have a fight um uh, which is a donut oh god and you're, you're gonna get into the donut thing yeah we can end on the donut thing so do you want to talk about our fights about donuts um we well the I just remember the one real epic one. Oh no, we've had a few. Yeah, we've I mean, had a few. That's one in so Japan. right. Yeah. Well, if we go for donuts, I often want to get a few donuts, and you flip <laughs> the f out. <laughs> you absolutely freak out and literally lose your mind. And then I don't. And then I kind of laugh at you and laugh it off. But then you're really pissed. And then I get all upset. And then suddenly we're in a fight. We didn't talk. For a whole trip to Palm Springs once in the car because we got donuts beforehand and you freaked out because I bought two instead of one. Tell me if there was, am I getting this story wrong? Yeah, you're getting it wrong. I was watching my weight on that trip to Palm Springs because I had just joined a gym. I'd been exercising and I was really trying to be good. So we went to this place, California Donuts, and I was like, okay, we can just each get a donut. Let's, let's get a donut before the drive. And I got one and then you got two. Mm -hmm. And I was... And key, I, key, like, key word there. I got two. You didn't get two. <laughs> but then you were I like, got then you were eating it and like lasciviously like. I think you're projecting right and now. like just I, shoving it. Nobody was lascivious. <laughs> you're projecting. But it was I like ate the two donuts that I bought. Yeah, maybe. I think I was. I think I don't know. Honestly, like that's that is something that like if I was going to go on a lunch therapy podcast that wasn't my own. I would want to talk about that because I think there there was something very triggering, but I think it had everything to do with thinking of donuts as an adult indulgence and watching you like with total abandon, just like eating them without without really caring. Or so you confess here uh, on the record that you were projecting your issues onto me in during the great donut fight of Palm Springs. Sure, but you've projected your issues onto me sometimes when you get when you feel like I'm mothering you and all I'm doing is like asking you like, hey, do you need that's double? fair. Yeah. That's fair. You'll snap you're like, I'm fine. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Well do you think we covered all of your psychological stuff in terms of your lunch therapy? Probably. We yeah, didn't leave anything well, out. No, I'm sure I'm sure ultimately we really just scratched the surface. But oh, yeah. but I we don't want to test your listeners' patience. Well no, every episode's an hour long and we're we're nearing the end, but we still have three minutes left. So uh, I'm trying to think if there's any other lunch therapy. We want to talk about Thanksgiving. What are we gonna do for Thanksgiving this year? We're going to the club, like we always do. We're going to my parents' uh, golf club in Boca Raton, and you kind of like it, right? There's a buffet. At this point, it has become such tradition that yeah. it's, there's something comforting in it, which is really weird. I never thought I'd be someone who was like comforted by... If you were saying, like, oh, I go to a buffet for Thanksgiving, I'd be like, what? Thanksgiving <laughs> is all about a home-cooked meal and everyone yeah. gathering together in a home, and that is what it is for most people, but I'm so used to now going to the club. And honestly... Food's pretty good yeah. at that club Thanksgiving buffet. And it's funny because it's for so many people and so many families, like Thanksgiving is the one time of year that they cook like that much food. And for me, I basically cook that much all the time. And so Thanksgiving is sort of a little respite for me. And I get my home cooked meal fix at Christmas time. 
Cause and we'll, you get it every day. And, and I get it every day. Yeah. So I'm fine to go to the club for Thanksgiving. But what's on honest. your, okay, wait, what are your, and then we're going to end here, but like what, how, what does Craig Johnson's Thanksgiving plate look like? Like when you make the plate at the buffet, oh. what do you go for? Well, I will kick off with some of that shrimp cocktail and then they do <laughs> b- good butternut squash soup. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then they have a, a, a pretty good um, shaved Brussels sprout salad uh-huh. that I've been getting. Um and then, then you go back for more of a. I'll go for a traditional. Right, but I'm plate. saying, are you white meat? Are you dark? I'm meat? dark meat. Dark meat. Fully dark meat. Are you gravy? Are you cranberry? A little sauce? bit of gravy, a little bit of cranberry sauce, you, stuffing. You, Not a big mashed potatoes guy. What about mashed sweet potatoes with marshmallows? No, no, no. See, there you go. Ugh, that sounds disgusting to me. Just because they're mealy, sweet, mealy, all of the things I don't like. Wow, we really ended on a really um, profound moment. <laughs> Yes, we do. Well, it is funny because you like goo, but you don't like mealy. So that's that's something for again, like a more educated lunch therapist to yes, examine. Yes, we'll 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 examine that in part two of this podcast. Yes. Um, well, Craig Johnson, thank you so much for joining us today on Lunch Therapy. You're very welcome. And I'll see you sometime after this episode is over. All right, sounds good to me. All right, thanks for listening. ACAST powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. It's the question that's on everyone's mind. How do you live a good life? How much do work, health, relationships matter? What about happiness, meaning, money, and love? What if you're alone or anxious, ill, or in pain? These are the questions we explore weekly on the top-ranked Good Life Project podcast. Hosted by me, award-winning author, four-time industry founder, and perpetual seeker, Jonathan Fields. Every week, I sit down with world-renowned experts, iconic writers, and researchers, and while everyone from Olympic gold medalists to world-shaking activists, A-list celebs, musicians, and more, all with a single goal, to help understand what it truly takes to live a good life and to feel a little less alone along the way. Listen to the Good Life Project podcast on the ACAST app or wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST, A-cast. 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 A-cast.